Well, here we are, you guys. We're heading into spring. It's changed, huh? I love this right here. Huh? How great is that? It's actually great to be able to come in here and feel like there's some act- there's some light when you you get out of the office and uh, or put a put a day in at the at the library and feel like there's still some light to go out and have fun. Hey, we're as we head off into uh, the spring. <clears throat> it's this time that gives us a new energy. It's time for us to begin to really start thinking forward. You know, one of, we, we just finished with transitions. And uh, as you know, Dave kind of took us through this. How do we think about transitions? A lot of us are in transitions. And I just want to say this. In the back, we, took, uh, we put a lot of what you guys said. We said that we might kind of post these up because we want you to know what other people are doing. There's a sense that when we're in places of transition, sometimes we feel like, man, we're just totally alone. We're the only ones that are in that spot. And so uh, Thad did a great job. He, he, he kind of typed out a lot of it and put them in the back. And if you want to be encouraged, spend some time taking a look at that board and just see the kinds of things that people are beginning to, to, to say, hey, I'm going to step out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a risk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and put my foot in, in the River Jordan. We, we use that image. There's a sense of, uh, of Israel walking up and having to put their foot in before the river stops. We'll see what happens, and God is going to do amazing things. See what people are saying. You'll be encouraged, I know you will. Well, what we want to do uh, over the next uh, couple uh, weeks now, uh, to take us into summer, is to, is to look at ambition. Uh, ambition is kind of, is sort of the, the, the meta narrative, if you will. And what I want us to look at is we kind of look at, especially the areas of calling. See, a- ambition is a, it's a big word. It's, a, it's an ambiguous word, isn't it? It, sometimes it seems like it's a good thing. Sometimes it, it gets used negatively. But it's something that we all have. We're all ambitious. right? We start off as ambitious. We start off wanting to do and to accomplish great things, to, to be great things, to, to be the fastest, to, to not just kind of run, but to, to, be the, to be the best. I love to be, I love seeing this. This is, we've been taking Noah to soccer practice and it's been so interesting to see every time he gets out and runs, he's just bolting with everything he has. Boom! Tagging the wall. I won! He's the only guy running, right? Yeah, good job. Every time we go outside, pretty soon I realize I'm in a race, you know. And every, every once in a while he'll give it up to me. Even though sometimes, you know, I win. He goes, no, I want it. I want it. I want it. Don't worry about it. We ask him, you know, he said, you know, no, Sometimes, you know, what do you want to do? I mean, but he sat in bed, actually. He, this is last week. He sat in bed, and he had this really concerned look on his face. And Shannon said, hey, well, well what's up, buddy? He's like, I just, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with my life. <laughs> what should I be here? Dude, you're four years old. <laughs> what you should do is you should master Legos. Don't worry about it. Well, it's down to two different things at this point. It's either one, he wants to be a paleontologist, which, yes, I had to look up that word, too. It means I'm going <laughs> to dig for dinosaurs because he loves dinosaurs. Or, second, he wants to be an alien, all right? <laughs> e- either way, it's going to be out of this world. Uh, either way, it'll be great. But he's got this sense he wants to do and to accomplish, and we all, we all have that. We all have that sense that we are, we're ambitious. We want to run after something with everything we have, uh, and yet it, it kind of depends on how, what happens with that ambition. How is that ambition guided, right? It, it can accomplish great things. It, it can free people. It, it can bring life to people. It can bring financial ruin to people. We have dictators who are ambitious who slaughter people by the hundreds of thousands. We have people who... Like, I, I, you just look in the, in the headlines now. Guys like uh, Bernie Madoff. 
he has this huge financial empire, he's an ambitious guy, and you realize it's a house of cards. And not only has his house fallen down, but so many other people's as well. You have guys like Bruce Robinson, on the other hand. He goes down, we, we told you about him from Haiti. He, he's down there, 25 years, out in the middle of nowhere. The only white guy for miles. Feels totally alone. You can't accomplish what he has accomplished without a sense of ambition. Without a sense that I, I, there is something big for me to run after with absolutely everything I have when, when you're sitting out there and you feel totally a, a, alone. We, we see this all the time. We see there are things like finance. That Finance can be this amazing tool that can provide opportunities for people. And we even hear about things like microfinance now that loans as small as 50 bucks can transform a family and then transform a community. Finance is a good thing, but finance can also, people can get into loans that, that either are sold them because by somebody who really doesn't care about, about that person, but is just trying to make a buck, or, or maybe they get into a loan that is above their head, and they, they realize financial ruin comes out of that. Finance can be good either way. David, the life of David is this, this mixture of ambition, right? Where he accomplishes so much for the nation of Israel. He leads in this amazing way godly way and yet there's also this dark side to him this ambition in which he he sees something that he wants Bathsheba bathing on on the rooftop and he he takes her like a possession and then he disposes of her husband when he when that gets inconvenient there's a sense that ambition can go either way and yet if there's a if we can somehow be guided by godly ambition what 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 could happen well today I so much of what we're dealing with now is, is the sense of, uh, of ambition that has gone awry. Ambition that, is, that has gone wrong. It's, it's bouncing around our headlines and we probably feel so often like the writer of Ecclesiastes where we, he looks at life and he says, to what end all this work? To what end all this toil? To what end of applying myself? And he starts off cynically almost, it feels like to us. Declaring meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? And he says, I've, I've gone after everything. Man, I've, I, I've test, I will test pleasure. I, I won't deny myself anything. I, I've undertaken great project. I've built more. I've accomplished more than anyone else. I've, I've owned more. I bought male and female slaves and had owners of slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired more than anything. I, in fact, I had a harem. I had more girls than anyone else. Right? There's a sense that I, can, I have accomplished. I have gotten more than anything. And yet he comes down and he says, I've denied myself nothing. Refuse my heart. No pleasure. But yet it is all meaningless. It is a chasing after the wind. There was nothing that was ultimately gained under the sun. I mean, it's depressing, isn't it? He goes on, he talks about how this... Yeah, I realize that so much labor and achievement springs from a man's envy of his neighbor. This too is a, a, a meaningless chasing after the wind. He goes on and on. He says, you know, I, I, I've seen a man, he, a man who is all alone. He's never stopped from his toil. And yet, at the end of his life, he goes, who am, am I toiling for? I've deprived myself and, of enjoyment. And yet, yet, 
All this is simply going to be given away. I, I, I might be wise even. He says, man, you could, shape, you could go after wisdom, and yet, even if I'm wise, it doesn't mean that it's going to keep me from misfortunes that happen. I know that there's so much of what we're looking at now. You could have lived wisely, and yet there are implications in our economy now in which things are being taken from us, in which we're paying a price as a people for the bad decisions that some have made, for perhaps the ways in which we have lived in a way in which we've realized meaningless, meaningless. There, there was a chasing after the wind. We've been living a dream. There's a sense in which we've been running after more and more and faster, faster. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says that in the end, there's a sense of wanting to, to get more, to accomplish more, to, to own more. If I can only possess something, if I can only consume something, then, then perhaps I will be satisfied. Then perhaps my ambition will go somewhere, will accomplish something. And yet, there is a sense in which our consuming is beginning. Sometimes some of us know what it's like to then start feeling consumed. We cannot get enough. We cannot accomplish enough. The titles and everything that we have worked so hard for end up at the end of the day to feel meaningless. A chasing after the wind. It, it is a depressing scenario. We're at this time where we're reevaluating so much of where we are. It's, it's so fascinating for me to, to look at things like commercials. Have you seen that? So Target commercials. Right? They're trying to kind of reinvent everything. You know, the, the new spa is you know, sitting at home with you know, some spa treatment. You, you know, the, the, the new gym is sitting at home with you know, a couple weights and a... And one of those balls that you do sit-ups on or something, right? We're trying to reinvent what we're about. We're trying to say, you know, perhaps I don't have to spend tons of money. Perhaps I could just do something right here. Perhaps there's a way in which I can live a fulfilled life in ways that I, I never thought I could before, in ways that perhaps I couldn't actually achieve when I was running after all this stuff that I was hoping to accumulate to do to be. Well, I think... You look at something like this and, and you come to these moments, you know, we come to these moments where we have, uh, we, we come at things like, unfortunately, funerals, right? Where we start to evaluate what, what, to what end are we applying all of our toil, all of our labor, all of, all of our energy. And we hope, and I hope, at the end of my life, I don't look back and I go, meaningless, meaningless. It was just chasing after the wind and I thought I was going to be able to get something and yet there's just nothing in there's nothing in my hands. I, I I went to the memorial service of the of the pastor that was before Earl. His name was Bruce Larson, and there was this wonderful. Um, it was a wonderful service because it was in the reverse. It was this, of this guy that ran hard after everything. He was an ambitious man, Bruce Larson. He was an ambitious man. He went with everything he possibly had, and yet at the end of his life, he walked away from that, and you realize that he had accomplished something that was tangible, that was real, that was meaningful, that was significant. I walked out and said, man, what am I doing with my life? Where is my ambition going? I hope that it, in some ways it is going the way that Bruce Larson's has gone. That at the end of my days, I, I would have people say those kinds of things about me, not, not because I, I want people to say nice things, but because there's something that God had done in and through me that was, that was significant. Well, we're going to look at ambition over, over the next uh, few weeks. We're going to look at things that, that go into it, things that will guide it, things that will shape it. Uh, a biblical view of ambition in which we can hopefully at the end of our days not say meaningless, meaningless. 
Not say this is simply a chasing after the wind, but be able to say, man, I have run with everything I have. I have, and I have fought the good fight, as the Apostle Paul will talk about. We're going to look at some things like discernment, vision, rhythm. What are some of the disciplines that can keep us on track? What is it that, how is it that we can have eyes to see what God is doing in and around us so that we can join Him in those things? Hope to be able to have people come in, and we will have people come in and be able to share a little bit about how God has, has led them. Hopefully so that we as a people can begin to think about, what does a biblically shaped ambition look like? Because I don't want us to not be ambitious, simply because ambition sometimes is wrongly used, but I want us to be a people with an ambition that is fruitful. Well, tonight what I want to do is simply be able to set out for us, just to say, the first things first, I want us to, get, to look at a model. To, to look at an, ex, an example for us, that, a, a biblical example of someone who, who was incredibly ambitious, but can help us to, to set first things first, to be able to set, kind of, to set our eyes high before we get started before anything. And that's, that's Paul. Paul, of course, is this guy that he was knocked off his horse, right? He was an ambitious guy. If you know the story of Paul at all, he, he was incredibly ambitious. He, he wanted to be able to, to serve God with everything he had, and yet he somehow got on this track where he thought if he could only persecute Christians, if he could only stamp out these Christians, then, then somehow God would be glorified. And, and he has this moment in which he gets knocked off his horse. He is running full out in one direction, but realizes that he is a chasing after the wind, essentially. God speaks to him and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And he goes, who are you? I don't even know you. And he realizes that the very God that he was trying to serve is the God that he has been actually persecuting. His life gets transformed and he lives this life of incredible ambition. You look at the Apostle Paul and and you see a man who, who probably accomplished more in his life, at least in spreading the gospel, than most of the apostles. He, he was trained, I mean, he was a, a, kind of the Jew's Jew, and yet God used him in an amazing way to be able to spread the message of what Jesus was about, the, the, the life that Jesus had to the non-Jewish world, probably more than anybody else. If that wasn't hard enough throughout the Roman world, if that isn't difficult enough to be able to get out and be able to say, hey, listen, I know this is going to blow your mind, but I've I, I got to open your mind to something new. There, there is a new dynamic at work, and that dynamic is a person. It's Jesus, and I want to tell you about him. If that's not hard enough, he, he, he does so having to defend himself before his own friends for the ministry that he has, having to defend himself in front of government authorities that are asking him, what the heck are you doing? He has to do so having been beaten to death, almost to death multiple times, having been stoned, having been attacked by mobs, having been wrongly accused, thrown in jail, shipwrecked, humiliated, having to do so when he has plenty, when he's got a, man, he's doing well, he's got lots of goods, he's got lots of security, and when he has nothing, when he feels stripped down, literally sometimes stripped down to nothing. I mean, man, that's, I want something of that. Because so often it's like, yeah, man, I'll push hard into something until it, until it gets kind of hard and difficult. I mean, maybe I'm not the only one. I see a couple people nodding their heads. Am I not the only one that goes, yeah, you know, I'll run with, I'll run with something. And, and as long as it's comfortable, as long as no one gets mad, as long as, man, I never ruffle any feathers, as long as I got lots of security, as long as I have plenty of stuff. If I have all this stuff, we talked about this a little bit. 
before, before and some of the illusions that Peter had to get through. But as long as we have all this stuff, then I'll run hard after you. And yet Paul has this, this staying power that is unbelievable. Well, what we want to look at tonight is, is a passage out of Philippians in which Paul is writing from a jail cell nonetheless. He writes to his friends in Philippi and he wants to encourage them. And in that, he's going to give them insight into ambition and an ambition that is fueled and guided by something that is much stronger than things that you accomplish, things that you simply possess. It is a calling in a sense that is fueled and guided by something that is much deeper. He begins chapter 3. And if you have your Bibles, open up to chapter 3 of Philippians. We'll have some of it up on the screen and some of it I hope you can kind of jot down in your Bibles. Actually, let me, let me pray just as we get into God's word that he, he would teach us what we need to hear. Lord, thanks for your word. Thanks for what you have in store for us. Thanks for the example of Paul. Lord, as he was simply writing letters to his friends, as he was trying to, to describe what you'd done in his life and, and give wisdom and insight to, to the churches that he's poured his life out for, Lord, somehow you inspired that, these words that have blessed and brought life to generations of your followers. Lord, I pray that you bring that, this text alive to us tonight. That we would hear what we need to hear. Um, that we'd be challenged how we need to be challenged. That we'd be encouraged to hang in there in the ways that we need to be encouraged. I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, Paul starts off saying, Finally, my brothers, rejoice. And I love that. Because our first reaction when things get bad, when we get in these times where we kind of, it's kind of, kind of national moments of, of sort of reevaluating our life, the last thing sometimes we think about is joy. And yet, Paul starts off by saying, rejoice. And what he's tapped into somehow unbelievably, even though he's actually writing from a jail cell, is something that the writer of Ecclesiastes kept on trying to get at. Is he kept saying, in all this chasing after the wind, at least, the, sometimes the best thing I can figure out is somehow, if you can just enjoy what you have. Enjoy the work. That is an unbelievable gift from God. And one of the most tragic things to see is when people are, are pouring out their lives, running after stuff, and they can't even enjoy the wealth that they have. That is a great tragedy. Yet, man, if I can simply enjoy what I have, the, the family that I have, perhaps that is the best. That is a gift from God. And, and so, somehow Paul in a jail cell, can say rejoice. We know that there's something going on for him that goes beyond what most of us are chasing after. He goes on and he wants to warn. He wants to send out a warning to those who are who have come to faith. They're, they're not Jews. They're not Israelites. They've come to faith and there's been a great deal of joy. And, and yet there's a, a group of people that are coming around, I'm sure, perhaps good-hearted, but... But they're coming in and they're saying, look, that's great that you've come to faith in Christ. But listen, if you really want to be in the club, if you really want to, what they're trying to do is this thing is exploding. They're trying to pull it back in. They go, listen, you need to be circumcised. You need to have kind of the, the right mark, the right badge to be in this club if you want. You've you got to be circumcised. And Paul is like, you've got to have nothing of it. If you want to hold on to the joy that you're experiencing, you have to have nothing of this. You have to have nothing of this. You want to play this game? I'll play the game. This is a fool's game, you guys. He goes on to say, listen, this is about putting confidence in the wrong, in absolutely the wrong things. He says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. 
He goes on to say, you want to put confidence in your flesh, in the things, the marks that you can, the badges that you can that you can wear that say that you're in the club. If you think, well, that's about, I'll play that game and I'll, I'll win any day. I myself have more reasons than anyone to put confidence in that. Listen, I, you want to talk about circumcised? I was circumcised at the right time, at the right moment, by the right people. I got that. Listen, I, I, I have... I have the right upbringing. I have the right background. My background is better than any of yours. I come from the right people. I have the right kinds of parents. I have the right kinds of education. As a matter of fact, I know the law. If you want to talk about the law being the pinnacle, I know the law better than anyone. My knowledge of it, perfect. My zeal, my ambition, my ambition took me to actually persecute, to run down people in the church. You can't beat me on that. You want to talk about not only talking the talk, I can talk the talk any day. I'll out-talk any of you when it comes to the law. And I'll actually out-walk you as well. Faultless was the way that I walked in that. And yet at the end of the day, listen, when I look back on it all, when I look back at everything I accomplished, I was at the pinnacle. And I look back and I go, meaningless. It was nothing. It was a chasing after the wind. That whatever was to my profit, to whatever, that I, whatever I thought that I had achieved, that I had gained... That somehow led me in to this place of ambition to have accomplished it all. I realized that it was all for loss. You can have it. My ambition now is driven by something that is much better. This is where we pick up in verses 7 to 11. But he goes on and he says, Listen, whatever is my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever... Is more. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but having one which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. And somehow, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to obtain to the resurrection from the dead. What Paul is saying is, listen, everything I am, everything I do, everything I am about is now captured by this experience, by by this call of of Christ that has brought me into a righteousness that is not my own, that has brought me into a power that is not about what I can do, but about what God can do. Well, remember, righteousness. Righteousness is a weird word for us. We, we don't like righteousness, I think. Most of us feel like we hear, that we hear, the, hear the word self-righteousness and we begin to think, you know, this is about me saying I'm better than you. Look, I made it, you didn't. You're over here, I'm not, at least I'm not like you because I'm in. Well, righteousness really is this word of saying, yes, I am in right standing. I am 360 degrees in right standing. I, I'm in right standing with my neighbor, those around us. Those that God has called us to love. I'm in right standing with myself. I'm in right standing with God. I'm in right standing with the earth that, that I have been called to steward. I am in right righteousness. It's 360 degree. I'm in, there's a sense where I'm seeking shalom. That is what righteousness means. Life is what righteousness is about. Anytime you run into a righteousness, a, a legalism that clamps down and, and begins to suck the life out of you, that's not righteousness. That's self-righteousness. Righteousness is always wins. It's winning. It's wooing. You get around someone who's righteous. 
And you don't begin to think about, well, man, they are so great and I'm not. You get around someone who's righteous and there's just something magnetic about them. There's something you want to be about them. It's, it's the kind of, it's the, the kind of buzz that Jesus had that people who, who had bombed out on society wanted to be around Jesus because of the righteousness that he had. He said, listen, I want to know that. I want to know that righteousness. Something that calls me. I'm being driven, something that calls me to become rather than to achieve. To become rather than to achieve. It's not something that goes beyond what I do or don't do, what I have or what I don't have, the background that I the background that I bring or the background that I, I don't bring, the, the mistakes I've made or haven't made, it, it is something that is so far beyond me and what I do, so therefore I don't ever have to worry about it being taken from me. It is something that, that capture, has captured me and draws me forward. That more than anything, I want to understand Christ and the call that He has placed on my life. You can notice two things about this. Two things about this, this ambition. That, that first of all, it, it draws you into a power that is bigger than yourself. And that's perhaps one of the best guides that we can have for our ambition as we kind of set out on this, on this big journey. That an ambition that is a godly ambition is always an ambition that is seeking something outside of itself. It's not seeking to prop itself up. It's not seeking to somehow justify itself to say, hey, look. How powerful, look how strong, look how successful I am. It's always about accomplishing something bigger than itself. And for this, Paul is saying, listen, I, I, I want to know this power. Not a power of me that comes in and, and goes around and says, hey, listen, I'm a great teacher. You've got to listen to me. I'm going to woo you. I'm going to make you laugh. I'm going to make you cry. At the end of the day, you're going to go, Paul, that guy's, that guy's amazing. I don't want anything about that. I don't want, I don't want to know anything about that. And Paul goes around and Paul's this amazing evangelist, and yet people will talk about Paul and go, you know, Paul, he writes a good letter, but you get him, you get him, up, you get him kind of face to face. He's not that great a speaker. Paul goes, you know, I, I come and you and you say that I don't really have great words. You know, some of us probably feel like that at times. We feel like, yeah, I'm not that articulate, and maybe in places of where we share with friends and family, there's no way that I could say anything. I could share something of, of my faith and what God has done. There's no way. I'm not articulate enough. And yet, you're in good company because you're with Paul. See, Paul says, there's something that happens when I, when I talk. When I simply jump out and, and, and simply I'm obedient. That, that God somehow does something amazing in and through me. And, and for those of us who have taken those steps, and, and, and not, only, not always does it come back, and, and not only does it work, but sometimes there are those moments we realize there's a power that's at work that is not about me and how smart I am and, and how much I can convince somebody and how much I, I can, can battle people with my brilliant arguments about faith. But there is something that happens as I simply testify to who God is and what He's done in my life that somehow people, it, the light goes on in people's minds and you realize there's a power at work that has nothing to do with me. It's addictive. Something to run after. The second thing about this ambition is that he says, I, I want to somehow know this fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And so to become like him. Well, we're probably thinking, great. The first one, great. Power, I'm all about that, right? Nobody's. But the second one, what? The fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. What? 
come on. Right? I mean, that's usually where we start drawing the line where we go, yeah, man, I'm gonna, I'll follow God, but I get a little squeamish when I go to a place and maybe you're even wondering tonight, you're like, great, this is not the night to show up. He's going to start talking about suffering. But think about this. When we think about what is an ambition that can really hold the weight of who we are, hold the weight of what we are about, it, it is not one in which we avoid every kind of pain in the world. We know that there's pain in the world. We know that there's brokenness in the world. The writer of Ecclesiastes talks about spending a life trying to accomplish things, trying to somehow mediate against the, the things that could happen, and yet you can build up all the wealth in the world and have it taken away just like that. There is brokenness and pain in the world. Any kind of, any kind of ambition, any kind of guide, any kind of direction that we have that somehow says we can run with an ambition that that is going to make everything easy, make everything go away, isn't true. Anything where things come cheap, anything where things come easy, we're being sold something. Where people say, hey, listen, you just got to jump on this program, jump on that program. We're being sold a bill of goods. Ambition is not about running from the things that are difficult, but it's about running straight into them. It's about somehow not trying to avoid, spend our whole life avoiding things that are hard, things that are difficult, things that are tragic, but it is about running straight at them. And what Paul will talk about is he said, you know, listen, there are those who are, they don't know anything about this. They, they live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And, and what, what's going on is this, he says, listen, the ambition, the ambition that they're running after, they're being guided by their stomachs. They're just running after whatever is pleasurable, which is not to say that we shouldn't enjoy what we have. Joy is a primary, is a primary marker that we're on the right road. But they're running after their stomachs. So they're running down the road of destruction. He talks about that later on in chapter 3. He says, listen, I want to know the fellowship of standing side by side with the God who has called me, the one who will face death straight on, who will actually defeat death. And I want to know the fellowship of what it means to be able to give testimony, to, to be able to see somehow God at work in a way in which there is going to be a power that is going to be a release that is going to have nothing to do with me. That's a motivation for us in seeking what it means to have an ambition that is godly. He says, rejoice. Rejoice. One of the markers, I think, for me, when I know I'm getting off the... the the wrong track is when joy begins to drain out. You ever had that? You begin to think around, you begin getting grumpy, cranky, start whining and complaining. I mean, we should all know when we start whining, we're in trouble. We're not talking about the difficulties and sharing the difficulties with another. You start complaining, you get really grumpy and the joy goes out and it's that place where I start to wonder what is it that I'm actually running after? Has my vision been blurred? Am I about trying to get something that I think is owed to me? To achieve something, to, uh, to achieve a, a, a title, to uh, achieve some sort of accolades that I think it is owed to me or am I still running hard after the God that has called me? It's those times when joy has come out in which I begin to worry that perhaps... I'm standing on my own in a place in which I'm trying to guard against every possible thing that could steal from me the thing that is going to make me significant. Well, Paul's not yet done. We need to, we need to round this out because he, as we continue on in, in uh, 
verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained all this, or I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What I want us to do is focus really just on verses 13 and 14. Because what he says is, look, now that we have this great calling, it doesn't mean that we just sort of kind of check out and we kind of go into our, 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 our private kind of bedroom, our secret place, and we just have our time with Jesus. No, God has, has had this call, and so now what I've got to do is I've got to run with everything I have to live out of it. To live it out, to, to see it manifest itself in my life in the places that God has given me, the, the spheres of influence that God has given me. And he says, listen, I'm going to run all out. I'm not going to look back. He talks about past, present, and future and how these things come together. He says, look, I'm not, the worst thing you can do if you're a runner is to look around at the people. But you just got to run in your lane. And I don't have, I'm going to forget what is behind. Not that I'm not going to learn from the mistakes that are made or not that I can somehow pretend like I can erase some of the consequences of, of actions taken. But I don't have to let the past define me anymore. God's forgiveness and grace has covered the mistakes that I have made. Not only that, He has called me. I don't have to keep asking whether I should be in the race. I don't have to, to look around and ask, do I belong here? Is there something else I should be doing? I, I can simply run with the thing that God has given me and run with it with everything I have. Not only that, I need to, I need to look forward. I'm straining ahead with everything I have. I'm straining ahead. I'm looking not simply at the thing that is just in front of me, but I, I'm looking into the far distance to, to that ultimate goal, not of just the next job, not of just the next promotion, but ultimately of, of developing Christ's likeness, to growing to look like Jesus in ways in which I begin to manifest something of His character in and around me. And, and therefore... I can then get on with what's right in front of me. I'm not defined. See, my ultimate goal is that I'm, I'm running hard after Christ, so I'm not having to be defined right now by this moment, by this job that's kind of kind of sucks. Or maybe the job that I just lost. Or, or, or the great job, that doesn't define me. Or, or, or the relationship that has gone bad. Or the, or the time of joy or the time of sorrow. The, the ups and the downs. There's a time for everything, the writer of Ecclesiastes says. I don't have to be defined by that because I am... I am running through it and God is going to be with me in the midst of it and so I can get on with what I am doing. Os Guinness says this and it's my fa- there's lots of def- definitions of calling but I, I, I love his because it captures this, this thing that, that we have to hold together, this tension. And he says that the calling is the truth that God calls him, us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, everything we have is invested with a special devotion, dynamism and direction lived out as a response to his summons and service. And so that's our goal, you guys. That's, and I would encourage you. We're going we're gonna to have some things. There, there's some bookmarks in the back. There's some stuff on the website you can download. We're going to encourage you to kind of dig in deep after each one of these. And I encourage you to, to sit in these passages and dwell on them, to, to ask questions. What's your definition of success? How do, you, how do you define that? Is there anything that you're running after that really can't bear the weight of your calling, of your life lived ambitiously? And I think, it's not that it's a bad thing. Titles and stuff that we're able to get and, 
and the relationships are nothing. There's nothing bad with that. But are we putting too much weight in those things? Or are we being diverted off? Is where's the joy, or is there any joy? And if there's not, why? Sit in those things. There's some recommendations of some books you can dip into that that will be kind of influencing this series as well. You can find those in the back. But think about it. Spend some time outside of of this and doing it. Here's the thing. Will this make a difference? Will having an ambition that is driven by the call of God, uh, uh, as as, uh, Guinness talks about, that, that somehow it's an ambition that is driven by being called to God and therefore having everything... Um, directed out of that summons and service, will it make a difference? I think you, you can look at the life of Paul himself. He, he's a guy, he's writing from prison, and yet he writes with joy. He, he's writing, he's actually in prison, and, and he's in the probably in the palace, of, or at least in one of the, the, the prisons of, of Nero at the time. He was a guy who lived out a very different kind of ambition, an ambition that not only murdered uh, anyone who threatened his power, but murdered his own mom. His mom's quoted as saying, at, at the end of her life, at least the womb that gave birth to Nero is being killed, is being gotten rid of. He's a guy who puts on brutal games for sport. So much so that his contemporaries will go to these games at the circus and see the brutality that is on display and, and feel, talk about feeling dirty and being sickened. He's the kind of guy that, for his own ambition in a building project, will, will set fire to Rome, and, and that fire will get out of control and burn way more than it was supposed to, and so he'll, he'll, he'll accuse the Christians. They're easy target. He'll accuse the Christians and, and brutally um, butcher them. It's a very different ambition, and yet there's Paul underneath. And at the end of this letter, he's saying he's writing... He's writing his friends with a sense of joy, a sense of saying, hey, I'm running with everything I have. You know, hang in there. I'm hanging in there. And at the end, he goes, oh, by the way, you know, I want to greet all, all, all you folks and, and say hello. And there's some people with me and I want to say hello to them. Oh, and, and all, the, all the saints, all the brothers and sisters in Caesar's household, they say hello as well. Can you imagine? The most, one of the most brutal emperors that Rome had seen. And Paul is sitting in his dungeon and he's winning people to become Christians who are watching him, who are his guards, right underneath Caesar's nose. What would it look like for us if we begin to think about an ambition that is driven not simply by kind of external markers of success? I, you guys have seen this, and we've had it here and there, and, I, and we did it, we used it on a worship night, and I mean, it's kind of ugly. If one of you is an artist and wants to make it pretty, Talk to me. I'd love it. You can do a way better job than I did. That's masking tape. That's the extent of my creativity there. But I can't get rid of it. Because I, can't, I keep thinking, I, I love that as we've marked where we, we live and, and where we work, th- these are the places in which we can live out this sense of what does God want to do in and through me r- right here? As we are, What would it look like for us to take our professions and not only have those those gifts of education that, that we have, the skills that we have, not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of slaying some of the great giants that are before us, of creating businesses that add value to society and not simply enrich us. 
Yes, they provide for us, but yet there is something in, in, in which God's kingdom can break out. What would happen if, if when we're sitting in those places of transition, people are able to see, what is the deal with John, with Jim, with Amber? They, they don't have a job. They lost their job. Well, what would happen if we, we brought a, a certain dignity to jobs that people just write off? They go, well... Eh. Eh, it's not that great a job. What if we brought, even to something like moving, well, what you just need is an 800-pound gorilla. And yet, you could show up and you could bring a dignity to that kind of work that people just don't expect, they don't know what to do with. And suddenly they realize that they thought they were just hiring muscle, and yet there's someone that is helping them through one of the most difficult times in their life. Well, what would happen if people began to, to look at you and go, you know, you shouldn't be as happy as you are, right? Not that you're giddy, not that you're dorky, not that you got permagrin, but there's a joy to you and it doesn't match your job because, man, this job sucks. I'm at this job. What would happen? What would happen is we combine as a community can come together and give testimony that there is something else to run after that cannot be taken away, that does not lead to a chasing after the wind. What would happen for all of us to run with an ambition that is guided by the God who calls us unto himself. I think it would be transformative. Let's run. Lord Jesus, we thank you for yourself that you redefine what we are about, that you can speak into any situation in which we find ourselves, any job which might feel significant or not significant. And, and like Paul, in less than per- perfect circumstances, Lord, we can be able to give testimony to a power that is not our own, that we can uh, be people who uh, don't simply run from easy thing to easy thing, but, but somehow find a fellowship with you in taking on some of the most difficult things that our friends, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters face, and somehow bring a hope into the midst of that. Lord, will you accomplish that in and through us? Will you guide our ambition that we would run all out, Lord? That this city would be impacted because of the people that gather here for worship around you. Would you use us to spread your kingdom in our places of work, in our neighborhoods, in and through our crappy jobs, in and through our great jobs? Lord, for those of us who will gain prominence, Lord, will you protect us and guard us? For those of us who might not ever be in a headline, will you help us to know and see the significant things that you are calling us into and the life of purpose and meaning that you have in store? Lord, help us to be people with vision. I pray this in your name. Amen.